and welcome to the Pressing Matters podcast. I'm Sam Hyde, and I've got a cold, and I'm joined by Toby Puisava, uh, who doesn't. Uh, we're recording this a day later than planned. Uh, we postponed it because of the Liverpool-Real Madrid game. Uh, any, any regrets postponing it, Toby? Um, hello, Sam. Uh, I like the intro. Uh, hello, I'm Sam Hyde, I've got a cold. I think you should maybe just have that as sort of all bios. Um, but anyway, to answer your question, am I regretting it? I, pff, I don't know, Sam. It was quite depressing, actually, to be honest. It was really quite depressing. I was up, I stood up on my show, sofa shouting at the TV when Courtois uh, made the error for, the, for our second goal, shouting justice for the final where he was sensational, um, saying that, you know, we we used up all of our, he used up all of his impenetrable goalkeeping in the final and didn't have any juice left for the uh, for this game and then turns out it didn't really matter too much because uh, well a mixture of factors but um, it was all quite it was all quite depressing really I really believed <laughs> I really believed and the old Liverpool are back it was all I could think about but um, it's not to be and now we have to talk we about it. We did speak <laughs> about this. <laughs> we did speak about our Liverpool back last week, uh, which seemed to be going pretty well because they won 2-0 against Newcastle, uh, scoring both the goals before Newcastle went down to 10 men. Uh, and then obviously this happens and it looks like Liverpool are going to be out of the out of the Champions League. Um, how are you feeling about Liverpool? What's What's the state of things? Oh, well, the missus was round last night she, after after the game. Well, she came in the when there was about twenty minutes to go, and I was pretty glum, pretty miserable, not too fun to be around. I reckon. Um, I've slept on it, and you know what? There were moments where we looked very good. This team can't sustain the level of performance required, and I think we saw that against Newcastle, or, or m- maybe more sustain the level of control. We were we've been back to the Liverpool of old that is direct and attacks quickly. <clears throat> I said that. <clears throat> sorry, I said that last week. But you can only defend at the tempo you that you attack at. Right, you can only and and Klopp sort of said this actually in the in in the post match press conference. You can only if you want to slow the game down, you can only do that in possession. You can't do that out of possession because you just become too passive, especially against a team of of Real Madrid's quality. If you sit in some sort of low block and try and defend at a slower pace and take the sting out of the game, they've got too many tools to to just pull you apart. Um, especially this Liverpool team. Um, but ultimately things are never as good as you think they are and things are never as bad as you think they are or, or as bad as they seem or as good as you seem is, is sort of my outlook and I think there are positives to take from the game and the fact that they scored five unanswered goals at Anfield shouldn't totally cloud and, and take away from some of the positives there is more and more chemistry with each passing game between that Nunes, Gakpo, Salah um, trio, which is a positive. Um, and 
players that were thrown in at the deep end, you could say, like Bajetic or Bacetic, sorry. Okay, lost the ball in in high areas up the pitch in moments that did cost us, but ultimately did look very composed on the ball, didn't shy away from challenges, didn't look a million miles away from it. And against the European champions, maybe that's the best we should have hoped for, for a team struggling down in eighth, which is ultimately what we are, despite the fact we put two good wins together. Um... So I'm trying to remain. I'm trying to remain level-headed. Yeah, and that's a good thing. I remember games with Arsenal uh, in the Champions League. Got to have a good memory for that. <laughs> and uh, there were times when Arsenal would get smashed, like four 0 by Milan or by Bayern Munich. Seemed to happen a few times. And Arsenal would still get fourth in the league. It, they, they were like these games are able to be sort of anomalies in in the season so uh, the Champions League are against such good opposition all the time maybe, maybe Liverpool will be fine I, I will say I didn't watch this game at all I watched uh, I Tonya instead which was uh, which was a good time but uh, maybe maybe Liverpool were dreadful I don't know is is there Cause... The, the, the breakdown of the game quite simply right do you want me to give you a full a full my, my full review yes please Okay, Darwin Nunes sensational finish. Courtois then makes an error. We go 2 0 up within first 20 minutes, yeah? Then the next goal is key for the whole tie because 2 0 up against Real Madrid in the first 20 minutes feels great. But ultimately, if you can't control the game, and even against 10 men Newcastle, we couldn't control the game and stop chances. Alison Becker was still man of the match. It was almost like we'd, we'd, we'd scored our two goals too early. If you're going to win the game 2 0, we'd. we'd would would score them too early because the game had a frantic pace about it, which suited us going forwards, but left us totally vulnerable to Vinicius Junior. Benzema was pulling out all the time to that left hand side and just doubling up, um, and and then playing with him, and just letting him run free essentially by occupying other you know other spaces around Trent and Gomez and and and, and causing a lot of headaches there. But at two nil, the next goal was crucial we had a goal mouth scramble in their box where it just didn't fall for anyone didn't go in okay I mean Salah has like three bites at the cherry Edin Militao's like lying on the ball it drops to someone else who fires it straight at someone if that goes in I'm not saying they wouldn't have scored but I think they would have we would have made it to half time right and, and I think making it to half time with a lead was crucial because the first half we were we were brilliant and we did um, well, the first 20, we were brilliant and we did put them under enormous amounts of pressure. They couldn't really play out. We were catching them when they were trying to play through our press multiple times and then breaking, you know, directly um, at their back line and creating chances through that. Vinicius Jr. then scores from a moment of magic, but ultimately is surrounded by players and somebody should do something. But it is a ridiculous finish and it's only a snapshot. But World-class players will do that. And Real Madrid, despite being low down in the table and despite not being, you know, maybe the team they have been previously, they are not lacking in world-class players. So 2-1, all of a sudden we're getting nervous. And then Alisson makes an error. But look, the guy's been... He is the best goalkeeper the Premier League has ever seen, in my eyes. And 
it's kind of ridiculous to say that off the back of him making that huge mistake. But I think he is clearly the leading light in modern day goalkeeping whilst also not losing um, shot stopping ability and one on one ability. I think he's the best. I think he's the best the Prem has ever seen. Um, but he has an absolute howler and where the ball should go long or at least if we're passing out it should be passed wider out to the centre back it goes straight at Vinicius Junior who's turned his back on it it bounces into the net and we're 2-2 level at half time and then it's not panic stations but it's all of the hard work is undone and there's a sinking feeling in the stomach that look it's like we've played our ace do you know what I mean? Um, and I don't know how much we had to go again then. And then, look, half-time is 2-2. It's drawn a blank. Fine. But then three minutes into the second half, we concede a shocking goal where they get a free kick. Is it a free kick? Probably. It's maybe a little bit. Like, I don't know. It's It probably is a free kick. It's not taken from the position where the foul is. Fine. It's It's taken like, basically, it gives them a better angle. We defend it like it's a corner, but we don't track any runners. It's horrendous defending. The first goal is horrendous defending, to be fair as well, but it's still a bit of magic from Vinicius in actually finding the finish. Um, and then from 3-2, so soon after half-time, the wind's out of the sails, we're chasing the game, we're chasing shadows, we're totally exposed and... They just pick us off, really, and it's still some errors in in the goals, but they they were avoidable. But also, they they it, it, I don't know. It was tough to watch at times in the second half. But but that's that's the summary of it. And, and to be fair, it, it, if you if you limit it and you don't let it become five, you have a chance at the Bernabeu, a slim one, but you have a chance. Now instead of it being five two. I mean, we have to go and we have to go and be so attacking, and and they've got so many weapons on the break, and we're so vulnerable on the break that it's it's game over. It's interesting to look at the match stats for the game as well because both teams had nine shots. Uh, Liverpool had fifty-two percent possession, and then even shots on target was five to six in favour of Real. Was it as as much of a disaster for Liverpool as the score suggests, or? It, you know, to, what can you read into these stats? It's hard to analyse because it's hard to analyse because it, it, you're looking, you're so results focused when you're looking at it, and you can't concede five at Anfield. You know, you just you just can't if you want to have any chance of being in a tie and taking something to the Bernabeu. You you just can't do that. In terms of actually the breakdown of the game, it was the kind of game that is hard to analyse because it was one in moments and it kind of epitomised this Real Madrid team and what they are. And even when they're suffering, they're such a threat at all moments. They're just ruthless and they will just put you to the sword. And, and I mean, it's like 1.66 XG and they, and they score five. But regardless of that, shot ourselves in the foot so frequently... And you just you just you can get away with that against Everton or Newcastle with ten men. You you can't get away with that against um, Real Madrid. Um, and to be fair, it was the summary of their whole Champions League campaign last season. They would they would suffer in so many games. 
I know I just said you can't really like make Real Madrid suffer, but they they would suffer in in moments and look like they're on their knees and going out, and yet they would just they would just produce big moments at the right time and and you know in terms of timing and when their goals came, I think that's what is more important than the stats because it's the timing of their goals and how they just knock the wind out of our sails, but also out of the sort of the way they can manage a game and kill the atmosphere. You know, you're 2-0 up so early, everyone's buzzing, we're we're bouncing, thinking this is going to be a huge European night, we're back, but then they go in at half-time level, they come out at half-time and immediately go ahead, and then it's just easy pickings, it's just, it's just, um, I mean, one of the goals is then, one of Benzema's goals is then a deflection, Um, could have defended it better anyway, but it's still unfortunate, realistically. Another of the goals, they just pick Bajatic's pocket. Luka Modric just nicks it, drives, makes the right decision. And Benzema's just the coolest guy on the pitch and just rounds rounds the keeper and still has a lot to do, to be honest. You've got three players back on the line or in the six-yard box at that point and he still just finds the top corner. Um, And I think that's that's the thing if you play you can completely dominate Real Madrid and they could still they could still just pull you apart um, and I think that's also sort of Carlo Ancelotti anyway it's sort of like man management let the players let let this world class group go and solve problems and find solutions and and just be durable in tough moments so that when and then and then ruthless in in the opposition team's tough moments, and um, that was the story of it. To be honest, yeah. Uh, so you mentioned Liverpool's defence quite a lot. There is. Uh, do you think the defence is the bigger problem compared to the m- midfield? We've spoken about the midfield in in previous weeks, but there's been a lot of focus on the defence instead uh, after this game. No, to be honest, I don't think so at all. I think all of the issues that we're facing are systemic. I think I don't think Van Dijk has looked the Van Dijk he's been before. There's no doubts about that. There's no doubts that I don't know if it's a hangover from the injury or what, but he's not the same player he was. That's not to say he's he can't still be a world class centre back, but he's totally exposed. Uh you've got Trent who who there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about Trent and his his defending Whoever's isolated 1v1 against Vinicius is going to struggle. We want to be so creative with him that, you know, there has to be protection from other areas of the pitch for him to prosper. If he was solid 1v1 with with half of a pitch behind him and he could still defend those moments and he had his on-the-ball offensive qualities and delivery, you'd be looking at someone who's basically... You know, I don't know, reinventing football. You know, he'd have no weaknesses in his game whatsoever. Um, so I don't think it's fair to always just lay the blame at his feet. I thought Joe Gomez actually, for multiple instances, dealt with Vinicius on the break very well. He's despite his injuries, he's got great speed still, but ultimately, doesn't get tight enough in the moments. He's not tight enough to Vinicius to stop the shot for where he scores, and it's deflected off him, off Benzema to go in. And I think a lot of a lot of Twitter Liverpool fans will often call out Joe Gomez, but 
he's not been that bad, you know? It's not like, it's it's not been that bad. Robertson individually hasn't been bad. But when you have a team like Real Madrid and you're pressing so aggressively and it do- doesn't come off, you're totally exposed, but you're totally exposed against players like Modric in possession or like... Benzema in possession with his runners being Vinicius. So it's pretty tough to deal with. You're talking about Joe Gomez having these moments. It, it makes you think of uh, when Mustafi was playing for Arsenal, who uh, st- statistically was like this brilliant centre-back and m- most of the time looked all right, looked like a solid Premier League-level centre-back. But then we just have like these absolute clangers and that would just like cost the team goals all the time um so i don't know yeah look what's the point of being a good center back if in all the big moments you 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 make errors and then you concede in them right i understand i understand that it's not forgivable but we're talking about our our best two center backs are canate and van dyke and Canate is out injured. If if I've got a Champions League final tomorrow, Canate and Van Dijk start if they're fit, right? <laughs> That's a big if, though, isn't it, for Canate, right? Well, yes, yes. But then also you have Joel Matip, who's just been frankly out of form, but is is a, has been a fantastic servant of the club and a great centre back for for many years now. I think both these are great. They're both great centre-backs, Canati and Matip, but their injury record has just been horrible, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I think Canate is is tough to judge um, because he's not been here that long either, really. But then Gomez as well has had huge injury issues. You're talking about a guy who's who was out for like a year at one point. With, he, had an, he did an ACL. Ben Mee just went through him with a ridiculous challenge obliterated his knee and then there was obviously something dodgy in England training because he comes back from injury well he doesn't come back from England training but he's got a massive scar down his down his leg and he was out for ages as well and they were basically back to back um it's tough because we have four top quality centre-backs not world-class centre-backs I'm not totally delusional just a little bit delusional but it's it's tough to have more than Van Dyke, Canate, Gomez, Matip, they're all all of them if they're fit, they they walk into a lot of teams. So why is the the Fed so bad? Is it just purely because of the mid, midfield? If the centre backs are so good. So I think I think we're we're used to being very aggressive pressers with a withdrawn number nine. Firmino is is the has always been in our successful period has always been the bridge between the forward line and the midfield we essentially played a diamond for a long time now Gakpo looks like he can fill that role but he's learning on the job a little bit um you also then have Nunes who who, who does well from the left but he's not the same frame as a Jota Mane Salah and he's more about bursts I would say and there are times when he tracks back phenomenally there was a time he he he's he's at the back post heading the ball away after they've like um, counted on us and it's fantastic defending, it's fantastic tracking back. But it it seems to be that our first line of pressure gets played through a lot more easily. Our midfield is then not 
close enough to it. I don't know if the midfield feels like that we're going to get played. Feels like we're going to get played through, and then is hesitant to go and squeeze high up. Um, and maybe I think there's a knock-on effect. I think there's a knock-on effect from the forward line not quite being as coherent in the press, the midfield not backing up that press as well. And then they're just being far bigger gaps for teams to be able to exploit. And and you can get away with that sometimes, but off, not really often anyway. But against Real Madrid as well, you, you, there's no chance you can get away with that. There's no chance. Um, because they have too much quality on the ball. And if you play a high, you have to play a high line if you're going to go and press aggressively. If you play a high line, you've got Vinicius Junior just running in behind. And it's not just Sean Longstaff picking out the ball in behind. No dis- disrespect to him. It's, it's Luka Modric. It's... Um, you know, so so that that that's where the issue issues kind of lie, I think. Um, Fabinho and Henderson just haven't been the same level either, more more physically than anything. Fabinho just makes these odd challenges. It seems where he's just you, you look at he's never getting the ball and he's he's going and it's not like tactical fouls never getting the ball. I love those. It's it's like lunges in for the ball where he's just been. He's had the ball popped around him, and now we're totally wide open. Um, so I think there's a combination of factors. I think I don't think we're a million miles away though in the sort of level-headedness. I don't think we're a million miles away because if you have fresher legs in midfield, or, or maybe younger, more aggressive, energetic legs in midfield, and a front three which is just that bit more coherent and knows the patterns and movements better. I don't think we're too far away. I really don't. Um, so you're not asking Klopp to go five at the back or uh, you know a five-two-three. Absolutely not, Sam. Absolutely not, because then the, we, we would just be even. Because this sums up why it's not a, def, a defensive problem. Because if you do that, you're just exposed elsewhere on the pitch, and then you just have players running at five defenders rather than four, but you're still in trouble. Do you see what I mean? You're just having two centre mids getting played around instead of yeah, the three. True. This is the mistake I would make. It, it's it's like a, it was like when when Hasenhutl got absolutely slapped up uh, against United. He came out and everyone said, "How are you playing such a high line? How are you you know?" The, the issue wasn't the high line; it was the pressure on the ball. If anything, the the line needed to be higher, right? And he came out and said that it's not the it's not the high line that's the issue. It's the it's the pressure on the ball. The first thing you you learn as a coach, if you're coaching, defending and things, if the opposition has time on the ball, the back line has to drop because you have to defend the spacing behind you. Now, we don't do that under the assumption that the issue there is, well, why have they got time on the ball? Something's broken down in the press. Why have they got time on the ball? It's not the fact that the defence needs to drop. Why does the defence need to drop? You see what I mean? So... And and that's a system problem. If players are repeatedly playing through the press and therefore having time on the ball, and those players are Luka Modric, it means that they're not just they're, you know they're, they're not just having time on the ball, but they're absolutely punishing you. It's a big problem, but I think look, Klopp knows what the problem is. I'm a hundred percent sure of that. But it's also not a problem you can just fix immediately. The biggest problem, and I'm not saying we're definitely getting Jude Bellingham if we get top four, whatever. Who who knows? But the biggest problem is that what impact does this kind of finish and this kind of 
and, and, and this level of failing have on your recruitment. Now, I'd like to think that with Klopp in charge and with enough young, talented players coming through, your likes of Canate being young, Trent still being young, um, we can throw Pachetic in there. He's exciting. Nunez is um, young. But then also the front, you know, Nunez, Gakpo being young. You can even look at Elliot Carvalho. There is youth there, but there's a there's a gap. And there are some players who are too young and there are some players that are too old. And we did best when we had that sweet spot in the middle where the front three was all in their prime, the midfield was all in their prime. Now it's, I feel like we built the team, or, or the team was built by Klopp off personality and, 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 and club atmosphere and morale as well, right? And so it's very hard to then ruthlessly chop players who have brought you so much success and success that wasn't really expected, let's be honest, and to be ruthless. Sir Alex said, you know, let someone... I don't know if it was him, but he definitely did this with Roy Keane, but let another player's legs... Let a player's, let your player's legs go on someone else's pitch, right? Now, you could look at Henson and Fabinho and say, well, we haven't let their legs go on someone else's pitch. And that's not to say they're totally finished, but off the evidence of this season, they're on their way to being finished, right? But when the whole club has been... where the whole success has been built upon those players and Klopp trusting those players, then it's very hard to then be ruthless. Whereas Pep doesn't have those issues, it seems. Yeah, you you kind of saw a similar kind of thing with Arsenal, but that was when Arteta came in, where he was just really ruthless and got rid of... It, it wasn't just old players, but it was Deadwood as well. Um, but particularly, like, you think of Aubameyang, who, who really needed getting rid of, and as soon as he was, then it just made the, the club a lot a lot better. Yeah, but now, um, but now put that on steroids, and imagine Aubameyang led you to your first Premier League title in 30 years, two Champions League finals before that, and you won one of them, and a Champions League final after that. <laughs> You're saying that's not as good as the FA Cup that Aubameyang <laughs> carried us to? Yeah, I am, I am. I, 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 <laughs> but it's it's difficult. I don't blame, I don't, uh, well, I blame Klopp, I suppose, but I also trust that Klopp is the man to then rebuild a team to go again. But it's like, I want the good things, but without without the work almost, you know? It feels a little bit like that. It's easy for Man City, who are this hugely successful, but they have to be successful. And it is, it's just money everywhere, and you solve everything with another £50 million fullback or another £50 million centre-back. And, oh, OK, well, we can get rid of Cancelo because we'll just go, we'll switch to a back three with our £50 million centre-backs, each of them costing that amount. And... You know, <clears throat> oh, oh, we've not got Cancelo, or we've got Carl Walker instead. Like, we're not, we're not blessed with that. We have Calvin Ramsey as Trent's backup, and and he's injured all the time. To be honest, he's got niggles, and he's he's a kid. And then Milner goes and fills in at right back. Right now, James Milner came on yet last night. James Milner should not be coming on when we're five two down against Real Madrid. But or starting against Chelsea. <laughs> Exactly, right? But it's difficult because there's a lot that needs to change and there's a lot of money that needs to be spent and players cost an awful lot of money. And and youngsters that we're getting for cheap aren't ready yet. And experienced players have gone over the hill. We we can't just go out and sign 
I don't know, just just a, a ridiculous right back who's of the level or slightly below the level of Trent. Let's see, like how much is that going to cost to have that backup? And and if we did it, the whole fan base would be saying, well, why isn't going into a midfielder? You know, and and we've not even mentioned Luis Diaz once so far in this half an hour of chat. You know, which which is fine. But he is someone who came in and, okay, he didn't put the numbers up that Manny put up, but he still hit the ground running and was, you know, starting finals for us and playing very well. So, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a tough moment to be in. I think you've got to be rational about it and it just accept that, look, you can't be the best every season unless you're funded by a small country or, or an oil state or whatever we want to we whatever we want to say for that or a very rich american you know you, you can't you can't just that there are cycles in football cycles could be totally wiped out by ridiculous investment but there are still cycles and, and look at the end of the day it comes down to those moments again it comes down to those moments because if that goalmouth scramble goes in, we're not even having this conversation, I don't think. Even if we go and end up throwing it away to maybe, let's say, 3-3. They're not coming back to 3-3 in, in the, at half-time anyway. But let's say they get one back and it's 3-1 or it's, you know, then, then there's a slightly different decision from Alisson because we've got a two-goal cushion. I don't, I don't know. It's all ifs, buts and maybes. But it's just the finest of margins that decide whether your club is in complete turmoil or whether you're back. And and we're getting judged whilst we're playing, you know, the team that has been the greatest team, the greatest club team in the world for the past, I don't know, ten years. So it's tough. It's it's tough. Yeah, and you know the same thing is happening with Arsenal at the same time, where it's like every moment is so crucial. Uh, obviously, they beat Aston Villa four two, but there were some massive chances missed in that game. That it looks like Arsenal weren't going to win, and then it just took. Uh, a hilariously fluky goal from Jorginho basically and then a break on the corner to win it but yeah it was a weird like the, the luck balanced out basically it's, it's bonkers but... it's bonkers football we all know it is and yet we all try and make it we all try and make these completely irrational um, lucky risky chance events we try and make them these definitive things and that's fine that's fun we enjoy doing it but Erdegaard misses a total sitter. If Jorginho doesn't yes. hit that shot the way he hits it, if Martinez doesn't dive the way he dives and it bounces off his head to go in, everyone and let's say you don't go on to win the game, everyone's looking at Erdegaard as, oh, well, hang on a minute. He's not world-class. That, that's the problem. You know, Everyone yeah. will be looking at it and going, oh, that's the problem. That's why Arsenal won't get over the line this season. Because in the big moments... And Nketiah as well. There was Inketia missed a one on one and a yeah and a yeah Inketia well. missing chances and the and the narrative would be you can't you can't win a title with Inketia as your backup striker you can't do that you need um, I don't know whoever Richarlison and and so it's these moments that fuel these narratives and it's the coach's job to make sure that luck can play as small a part as possible in football in the football match, in deciding the football match. It's the coach's job to ensure that luck plays as small a part as possible. But ultimately, there will always be some luck involved. And that's why we all love it. 
and that's why we also all hate it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's a nice, a nice sentiment. Yeah. There's not much point analysing stuff, really, is there, actually? Forget it, mate. There's no point. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, when it comes down to it, it will always just be... People will run with the recency bias of that week. A completely... So, I, don't think we, I don't think we even really want to go through any other games. What I did want to say, though, Sam, I was thinking... I was thinking on one of my many long drives. I was thinking... Me and my friend Jamie... We used to always, sometimes on the walk home from a night out or something like that, we used to talk through and we'd try and come up with our favourite mid-table ballers, okay? I'm talking oh, yeah. your, your Dimitri Payets, your Hatem Benafas. Um, feel free to throw anyone in that you that you can think of. And I was thinking, with the recruitment of the Premier League, with the scouting of the Premier League and the money of the Premier League and also the super coaches that we have. Maybe super coaches, just coaches who are very good. Um, and the pull that they have in terms of financially and who you're going to be working under. I wanted to just narrow it down a bit further than just mid-table ballers. But also just, and also just talk about the standard of Premier League central midfielders I put in the notes number sixes but more more just your sort of controller I was I, the reason I thought about this as well was I was thinking of um, Kamara for Villa who looks like a hell of a player right but let's just if I just pull up the table right if we go right Newcastle I appreciate they're not mid-table but the mid-table is so competitive now that what is mid-table Newcastle, Bruno Guimaraes in there. Not, Fulham, not in the mid table. Polinia, fantastic. Brighton, uh-huh. Caicedo, ninety mil euro in for him. Liverpool pff, was Fabinho, but hey, we need to we need to discuss these things. But he was more of a destroyer anyway than like a controller. We're looking at Thiago as the more sort of controlling centre mid anyway. By Chechic. Hey, we'll we'll see. Maybe in maybe in a <laughs> few day. years. Chelsea, they're with Enzo. They've just brought in. Think about the money they've just dropped on him. Villa, Kamara, looks looks ridiculously good. Press resistant, strong in the tackle, can read a game. Even Palace, they've brought that Decore in, that Czech Decore. He, he, he seems okay. He could be fun. He's young. He's under the guidance of Patrick Vieira. I'm sure he'll be fantastic. Um... I noticed this as well because I was going to bring up Forrest because uh, I, I totally missed this transfer until a couple of weeks ago but they've got Remo Freuler is there they're like six yeah which is crazy the guy's got like 80 caps for Switzerland or something yeah who have been like a top 10 nation I mean look the rankings are what they are they're a bit questionable at times but they're a good team <laughs> you know he's like a really good technical and, and even like Wolves, think about how long you've had Ruben Neves there, who's not exactly a, to be sniffed at or anything. Um, and Moutinho. Moutinho as well. As well. Even outrageous. Everton's midfield, you know, that's, that's a fun midfield three of gay. Um, Anana <laughs> looks fantastic. Decore, you know. I just, you say this every week, by the way. You, you go through the... I, I, met, I bring up the Everton midfield three every week. Yeah, right. 
West Ham, West Ham, Lucas Paqueta. You know, look, whether he clicks or not, he still he was still hugely exciting and such a technically gifted centre uh, centre mid. And and he's playing with Declan Rice, who everyone you know wants a slice of. Slice of rice. Rice. Everyone wants a slice of rice. I just think it's 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 quite nuts, really, isn't it? The standard of Premier League midfields. Um, but yeah, like Tyler Adams and Weston McKennie, I'm not completely sold on them. But look, I think I think the only reason I'm not sold on them is because the ability of all the other midfields. You, you know what I mean? It's not it's not enough to have good centre mids. <laughs> all of the centre mids seem to be exceptional. Um, I mean, Liverpool's midfield is looking worse. Well, yeah, it's it's in terms this. of like I don't know. It's a bit silly to say, but in terms of like, let's say you pick one up on FIFA or Football Manager, you pick one up and you want to have some fun with a with a midfield Liverpool's not the one you go to and everyone else is improving so much all the time so constantly that it's 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 tough it's tough but um yeah I just wanted a little a little mention of that really it was just something I've been thinking about I don't really really know where to go with it from there but um just the standards quite quite baffling you know well it's Super League a bit so yeah, yeah we're here the Super League has arrived the Super League has arrived. Um, yeah. Uh, anyway, we can move on from that. Have you got any uh, claims of next manager to go, Sam? We we like to talk about managers getting sacked these days. I think it'll be a while until one gets sacked. I'm I think everyone's been sacked, uh, isn't it? I don't know what the situation is around Gary O'Neill, but you saw like how hard it was for Leeds to get a new manager in. They might just stick it out. Yeah. I think Moyes seems to have good support. Could be at risk. And that depends how much Chelsea nosedive with Potter. I think he'll be safe for a while. But I think I think with Potter, I think they can't swallow the pride, to be honest. I think that'll, that'll be what saves him. He could be the next one still, though, even if it is in, like, end of the season. Is that, is that a lot? Yeah, but I think someone goes before him? the end of the season. I think, I think a team panics before the end of the season. The desperation to stay in the Prem kicks in and the money that's involved I think it kicks in yeah Moyes or Gary O'Neill then I'm saying I'm saying Gary O'Neill you're probably right I, I guess where, yeah it's like you said though where, where do they go I mean there's always play, team managers to go to but Lee's going to Javi, Javi Gracia I think we'll do do well to be fair well the team's a good but, team it's not like ah, but then there's a lot of good teams like we've said I'm still saying Leeds will stay up as much as the shambles as they are I'm sticking with it stubbornly. Yeah, well, Ben Foster. I, I, ben Foster. I heard a clip of him talking about Javi Grassi when he was at uh, Watford. He said he's just first and foremost. He's just a great man. He was like always asking about him. Always, and I think they could maybe just do with a good man manager because there's talent there. You've just got to get them playing and clicking. When you looked at the lineup of of Leeds against Everton, and you looked at the forward lines, it's it, it was. Or, or let's even just say the front six, dude. that four two three one. Tyler Adams, Weston McKenney. Look, I don't even know much about Weston McKenney. Um I'm not I'm not sure he's all that, but I don't really know what that's based off of. Maybe a few tweets of people saying, Oh, at least if we go down, we don't have to sign him. There's no obligation to buy. Um and he also looks very casual, but I think that's just his maybe style a bit. Um He had a great World Cup. It's just it's because he puts ranch on pizza when he was at UV. I think a lot of it is. is you think that. it's all based on on him putting ranch on pizza? Yeah, I mean that is terrible. I don't really know and what ranch sauce is, to be honest. 
I had it once. It's like it's like mayo, but but like worse well it's it's thinner we used to sell it at, at subway and then i used to love it and then they changed it and they didn't do ranch sauce anymore but i don't know if that was the official ranch sauce um <laughs> it's it's not an official thing i think but you know like the doritos the cool original they're they're ranch flavored i don't think it's enough of a thing to start having ranch. it's like paprika crisps oh they're great though have you tried yeah but paprika is more of a a coloring agent i would say in cooking, you would never just have. <laughs> what? <laughs> I just. Well, yeah. I, I like paprika. Don't get me wrong, but how many this times, other than a goulash, take. how many times is paprika the predominant uh, spice? You never. Oh, Toby, you need to put paprika on wedges. I put paprika on wedges, paprika. but I don't just put paprika on wedges. So maybe it's me. Maybe I'm putting too much seasoning on there. But to me, if I'm going to have paprika, why wouldn't I have Cajun? What's Cajun? That's just paprika with, like, garlic in it. Well, it? Yeah, I think so. So why wouldn't I just have Cajun? Paprika is derived from a red pepper base. Am I right in saying that, or am I talking absolute nonsense? And so Cajun is red pepper and garlic, I'm pretty sure, with maybe a little hint of more sort of spice in there. Well, paprika is its own type of red pepper. It's like, it's like a sweet but warm flavour. Okay. Okay, I'm just not sure I'm too much of a believer in paprika, but maybe I've always accompanied it with other things, so I've not noticed it on its own too much. Because in fairness, a goulash does have a distinctive flavour, and that is paprika, you know, based. It's one of the top spices, paprika. It's top five. Yeah, but, yeah, but, okay, but I don't think it's a top five standalone spice. If you had to put one thing on and you couldn't, I think paprika's a great accompanier to other spices, but I don't, it's not... It's not rocking my world if it's by itself, on a wedge. It's the most wrong you've ever been on the podcast. Really? Uh, <laughs> well, what are your top five spices then? What's not making the cut? Paprika, cumin. I'm just going to Google list of spices just to make sure I'm not missing anything. Turmeric. Good, good for you, I think, right? It's got to be chilli, isn't it? It's, you can't not have chilli. At least some form of chilli. Yeah, I've got to go ginger as the last one. I'm not a big ginger fan either. I like it as a spice, but not like the root ginger. You know when you get like ground ginger, that's alright. Okay, I'm going to disappoint you here and I'm going to I'm gonna spend a week on this and I'm going to come back to you next week with my top five spices. What about Chinese five spice? I mean, I, I don't know, five. but occasion would be in there for me. Uh, there's it's not a spice though it's a spice mix well okay okay this is why I need to go away and have a think I've got some chicken wings marinating actually which I'm now gonna which I'm now gonna cook and I've got paprika like a a default chicken seasoning um some chilli powder and there was something else oh Cajun of course Cajun I put those those four on you know, you put paprika and Cajun. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, so maybe that's why I don't rate paprika because I always use it with Cajun. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> it's li- literally Cajun is paprika. Yeah, well, Cajun's my favourite spice, so me calling out paprika then becomes even more stupid. Don't know what's in Cajun. Paprika and garlic. It's yeah, it's paprika, garlic powder, salt. And then some herbs. Well, it's bloody good, mate, is what it is. So, 
I have I have had Cajun. Double up, mate. Cajun and paprika. Maybe it's the way to go. Okay, well, that was the Press Matters podcast this week. And maybe a different podcast at the end. I'm not sure what that was. But, uh, yeah, big week for Liverpool. Uh, playing Palace and then Wolves. So everything could change again, as always. We might be back again. I'll tell you who will be back. Uh, yeah, well, that's us, isn't it? That's us. We'll be back. I'll see you next week. I'll be back. I'll be back. There's our second film reference in two weeks, in as many yeah, weeks. Yeah, you didn't didn't really do the voice very well. I didn't really. I half-asked it, to be honest, Sam. I'll be back. I've not actually seen Terminator, so I can't actually do it properly. The original is uh, my hot take. T1 better than T2. Okay. Fantastic film. All right. You have to watch Terminator. It's so good. I've watched Terminator. I've seen like bits of it, I think. It's been on... Actually, do watch it. I think I've seen bits of it in French. Ah, Le Terminator. <laughs> le Terminator. Right. Okay, we're going now. Goodbye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.